I often have a thought after we sing our song, and I bring the hymnal with me so I can reference it. And there's like five hymnals underneath here, because I put them but never take them back. <clears throat> good morning. It is a good thing to be gathered together on the Lord's day in the Lord's house with the people of God. God bless you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us, for the joy that you've put in our hearts. Surely, Father, we would be in sackcloth and ashes and despair and sorrow without you. You've loved us. You've stirred us up. You've caused us to be born again. You've rescued us from the dominion of darkness and caused us to come into the kingdom of light. Oh, Lord, we need your light now as we look to your word. Please bless us. Please help us. Cause us, Lord, to worship you with all that we are. We pray in your name. Amen. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The babies in the church are not bothering me. It's not new that babies have been among the community of God. And guess what? They make noise sometimes. It's okay. <clears throat> Was that... that song that we just sang, 587, let's, let's think about this last verse because it really goes exactly with the message this morning. Every joy or trial falleth from above. You just sang that. Do you believe that? Every joy or trial falleth from above. Traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. We may trust Him fully, all for us to do. They who trust Him wholly find Him wholly true. The point is, He's the sovereign. That's the point. He's working. He's doing things according to His good pleasure. Listen to me. The good pleasure of God is good. If God has a good pleasure to do it, it's good. You better say amen. It is good. It is good. Every trial, every joy, God uses secondary means. If you're not familiar with this idea, we'll touch it briefly. God desires for it to rain in Parker, Texas. But water doesn't just fall out of nowhere. He uses clouds. He causes evaporation to happen, warm fronts and cold fronts to cause wind to happen, to blow those storm clouds over to Parker, and it rains in Parker. So then if I ask you, what's the first cause of the rain in Parker? Is it the cloud or is it God? And the answer is, it's God. The cloud is the secondary means that God chose to use to bring the rain to Parker. He could have used different means, right? He could make the dew point change so that in the morning when you wake up, everything is covered with water. These are um, deep thoughts about God, but they're thoughts that should run through our minds every day, all the time, God is in control. We think we have control. We think we do, but do we? 
And you'll see in today's text, this is very relevant. Please turn to the book of James, chapter 4. And we're going to, God willing, we will finish up our study in James next time. This is not the same as going through Luke or Acts. We were in those two books for many years. But it's been a good reminder for me and a good blessing. I hope it has for you too. Um, Let's let's read the chapter 4 again just to remind us about what's been going on. Verse 1 of chapter 4. What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, quote, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, end quote. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Amen. So the chapter starts off, and really a holdover from from the end of chapter 3. Are you wise? Do you have a deep understanding of God? Come forward. Let's see your good works. Demonstrate it. Do you serve and work in humility? Well, that's true wisdom then. And remember this discussion we had? I asked you, can true wisdom be demonstrated? 
And, and I think that's sort of like, you're kind of like, uh, uh. but if I give you the opposite, can foolishness be demonstrated? And you'll say immediately, of course. We've seen people act a fool many times. Well, can true wisdom be demonstrated? Can godly understanding be demonstrated? And the answer is yes, it can. In gentility, humility, patience, kindness, this proves that a person understands who God is. While a person is boasting and arguing and fighting and cursing, that does not show that you have a deep understanding of God. It actually shows the opposite. And this is very important to our discussion about God being sovereign. And, Brother Jeff, true worship. How can you say you worship God? You don't do what he told you to do. You're his bondservant. You're a bad servant if you are. He's given you tasks. He's given you commands and you refuse to follow them. And James says, if you're going to demonstrate bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast that you have an understanding of who God is. That is not from above. That demonstrates that you're a natural man, not a spiritual man. That demonstrates you're an unspiritual woman. Even, James says, under demonic influence. And he says it will lead to disorder, wickedness. True wisdom that comes from God is peaceable, it is gentle, it is humble, it's open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial. Remember James's discussion about partiality? True understanding of who God is, it's sincere, as you discussed this morning. We, we had, you know... Um, Several thoughts about what is true worship and how to prepare ourselves, but sometimes we're just not very thoughtful about it. It's not that we don't believe what we're singing or that we don't want to be here, but we're just not really thinking that much about what's actually happening here. That there is a God that created the universe. As we sang earlier, the rolling spheres in the sky who is majestic, amazing. Just the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. Angels cry out to him day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we are given the opportunity to bow before him, to sing praises to him, to um, testify and give thanks for all the goodness that he's given to us. We should think deeply about it as we would want somebody else to do for us. If you think about this, when somebody does something and you know that they thought a lot about it, and you say, that was so considerate. Thank you so much for that. And you, you wonder, why did they spend so much time thinking about that? It's because they wanted to bless us. And I think that the reason we do things like that is because we're made in the image of God. 
And we can give that type of thought, even more than that, to God in worship. Another way that James says that those who understand God's ways, they're peacemakers. <coughs> peacemakers reap a harvest, the Bible says. Peacemakers will be called the children of God. So we have some sort of thing that's going on here in the community that James doesn't really say exactly what's going on. But there's some sort of arguing and there's sides going back and forth, possibly cursing at each other, possibly rich versus poor. There's a big problem going on. Why do you think he has this whole section about the tongue and the way you can really tear down quickly with the tongue and set a whole forest on fire, even with a small spark? And he says here, chapter 4, verse 11, don't speak evil against each other, brothers. It seems to be going back and forth. And you know this, if you have debate, if you're not very careful, the debate will quickly escalate. At least that happens to me. Maybe you're better than I am. But I'm passionate about things that I think. And sometimes I think wrongly, and sometimes I'm thinking rightly, but... I'm still passionate about it, even when I'm wrong. And an argument will happen. And guess what? When you raise your level, they're going to raise their level. And before long, there's an argument. Is this what's happening? Don't speak evil against your brothers. We don't know exactly what the subject is. People speculate, but we don't know for sure. And, and I didn't say this last time, but let's have a, a brief word about it. As it relates to judging, I know that that's a popular verse these days. Judge not. And what they're trying to say is everyone can do whatever they want and just stay out of it. Fine, but God judges. And he instructs the church to judge. Jesus did not forbid judging. He said, take the log out of your own eye before you remove the speck from your brother or your sister's eye. You'll be able to see clearly to help them with their problem. If you're a hypocrite and your problem is even bigger than their problem, well, that's just dumb. Fix your problem first, then you can help. The, the passage is not teaching to not judge. It's saying, don't, Jesus is teaching, don't be a hypocrite. James's point here is, is a different side of that argument. He's saying, how are you going to judge? God is the judge. You're trying to say that, um, that you, you're able to judge the law? The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And James is saying, you're not the judge. Who do you think you are? God is the judge, not you. You should love your brothers and sisters and quit judging them. The last verse of, last section of verse 12, but who are you to judge your neighbor? And possibly bringing in the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Who are you to judge your neighbor? And then, so that leads us to the, the new section today. 
And it has to do with people presuming that their lives are in their own hands and all they have to do is make the plans and they will, they will come to pass. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. That's their plan. And James is saying, are you sure that's right thinking? Possibly again talking about the conflict between rich and poor in the church or in this community. The solution to all these problems is they need to submit to God and resist the devil. And this idea that our lives are in our hands, that is from the devil. They're not in your hands. Are they? Did you decide when you were going to be born? Or what town you were going to be born in? Do you know the the day that you're going to leave this world? God knows it. He's planned it. He's purposed it to the exact second, the millisecond, the smallest amount of time that you want to mark. He's determined it. This isn't my idea. This is the Bible's teaching. Right? Isn't this the, the teaching that Paul gives them in Acts chapter 17? God has determined the boundaries of us and the places where we're going to live and the time of the world that we would be born in. I mean, humility is the key here. This is wisdom from above. There's two worldviews that are at work here. And they're not compatible with each other. There's a worldly worldview and a godly worldview. A worldly view says, I'm going to make plans and I'm going to make a profit and I'm going to leave God out of it. I have what I need. If I get sick, I have money. I'll rent, I'll hire the best doctors to help me. If my car breaks down, I'll just get it fixed or I'll get a new car. If my foundation cracks, I'll hire somebody to fix it. No problem. What do I need the Lord for? I have everything. Whatever I want, I do it. That's one worldview. Do you wonder why the Bible says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? The other view is a humble view that looks to the future more and says, my life is in God's hands. It's completely subjected to the plans that he has for me. And James's point is, verse 14, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James is saying, you arrogant people, how can you, um, how can you propose plans like this and you think that they're not subjected to God's will? 
You don't know what your future is going to bring. Your life is very short and fragile. I mean, a mist. You ever have mist in your kitchen while you're cooking? It's basically a mist, right? And you go, and it's gone. Might be going into your face. It's kind of hot. And you just swish it away, and it's weak. It's fragile. It's gone. Your life, James says, is a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. Are you really going to be arrogant and think that your plan is going to stand no matter what God says about it? This is not from above. This is a worldly view. The godly view is that, verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And now listen, Reformed Christians often will say, God willing, I'll do this or that. God willing, I'll do this or that. And that is a good thing to say. But I don't think it's necessary for you to say it. It's necessary for you to know it, to believe it. God willing, I'll do it. And if he's not, well, I won't. If he's not willing, it's not going to come to pass. Is this worship We were talking about different denominations with my family. And what we said is there are certain groups that we would feel free to worship with because their view of God's character are consistent with the Bible's description of who he is. And there are other groups whose view of God's character and his attributes are so different from ours that we wouldn't be able to worship with them. We, would, we might even say, this doesn't seem like wisdom from above. God's will is for us to know that our lives are in his hand. When you wake up, when you lie down, when you brush your teeth, when you take a bath, do you realize how precarious your life is? People slip all the time in the shower and crack their head on the side of the tub and they are dead. And they were just trying to take a bath. And they thought their lives were completely in their hands. And they didn't know that they weren't. Now, you might say, well, why would God do that? Why would he cause people to slip and fall? That's a different discussion. We'll have it if you want to later. But whatever God purposes, it's right. Because he decides what's right or wrong. And if he does it, it is absolutely right. It is impossible for God to do something that's wrong. We have to drill this into our brains again and again and again. If he does it, it is inherently right. And we need to get on board with him. Otherwise, we'll be wrong. Right? James says, the right way to think, don't be arrogant, don't be proud. Your life is so fragile, we could blow it away in a moment. What you should say is, I have a plan, but it's according to God's will. If God wills, I'll do this or that. If he doesn't, I'll humble myself and I'll say, not my will, but your will, Lord. And any other talking about future plans, James says, 
This is boasting and arrogance. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Isn't this an interesting thought? It's a deep thought. Making plans without taking into consideration God's will is arrogance. It is boasting. I'm going to do it. God's like, you're not going to do it. But we don't realize. We're arrogant. We boast. I'm going to do it. Like, it, it has to be very pitiful to the sovereign king of kings to watch humans try to kick against the goads. We're taught this all over the scriptures. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of Jehovah. He turns it wherever he will. Proverbs 21.1 What's the teaching there? God is directing king's hearts to do what he wants according to his will. Sometimes he directed evil kings to attack Israel for their sin. God said, they don't even know about you. I'm going to whistle for them and they're going to come and attack you. And then you'll repent. And we say, well, was that good or bad? Well, God could have left them in peace and security and they would all fall away and die in their arrogance and sin. Or he can bring chastisement and correction and cause them to repent. Turn over to First Chronicles. This is actually very interesting and I wonder if James maybe has this in mind. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. They are collecting offerings for the temple. And David is praying. This is chapter 29 verse 10. We'll read 10 through 18. It's a little bit long, but it's, it's, it's good. Verse 10, therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and from your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, comes from your hand and is all your own. 
I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. This is very interesting. I I think maybe James has this in mind while he's writing. David is saying, this is kind of weird, God. Everything we're offering to you, it's actually yours. Everything is yours. And the whole earth is full of your power. And you've caused us to be blessed and given us all this stuff. And we're offering it to you. It's yours already. And David sort of feels a little bit insufficient. And, but he still says, but, I mean, you've stirred us up and we have a willing spirit to offer these things. So thank you for that too. May your people always have such thoughts. But do you see David's point there in verse uh, 15? We are sojourners. Our days on earth are like a shadow There is no abiding. I mean, we have abundance. It comes from your hand. But our life, just like James said, it's short, it's fragile. It's not going to last too long. I mean, surely David knows that as a man of war, having slain many people and having people try to kill him many times. He knows as, as a soldier Lives are short. I mean, soldiers are usually young people, aren't they? A couple more verses and we'll be done just so we can make sure. Drive it in with a sure nail. Isaiah 46, verses 9. 8, 9, and 10. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish All my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. If we're going to be arrogant That is wrong. Instead, be humble. Because you know your life is short and you know that the whole earth is God's and if He gives you anything, it's a blessing from Him. We should humble ourselves and be thankful. Jeff, this morning when we were talking about characteristics of worship, a large characteristic which I talked about um, before the Lord's Supper last time, thanksgiving. Right? Prayer, praise, adoration, thanksgiving. 
I want to read that verse that I mentioned in Acts. This also echoes what David's, I think David's heart is there as he's offering a gift to God that actually belongs to God in the first place. It was given from God to him. This is Acts 17.24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Let us listen to the teaching of James, especially as we carry out our daily activities, as we make plans. Do we know truly? Do we know it in our head and our heart? Sometimes I think my mind understands the theology and I can even recount it to someone else, but I don't truly believe it 100%. If I did, I would obey it all the time, every time. Right? The reason why we disobey sometimes is because we doubt. Is it really going to be that way? Or we lack the power to carry out what we know it to be true. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James finishes up that. So whoever knows the right thing to do, fails to do it for him, it is sin. This is going to be, this verse is for us, isn't it? Don't we know the right thing to do? In almost every circumstance, we know the right thing to do. Well, let's pray to God that we won't fail to do it, but we'll do it. What we know to be the right thing. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh Lord, we humble ourselves. We do confess that we are sinners and that we're still um, fighting with uh, the flesh and sin living in us. Oh Lord, thanks be to you that you've given us your spirit, that you have redeemed us from the captivity of sin that would utterly destroy us. Would you help us to understand these things that our lives really are in your hands, that things don't happen apart from your will. And your will is good. Lord, we pray that we would trust you. There are things around us happening every day that we don't understand. And Father, that the devil would want us to turn our worship away from you and instead judge you and blame you. Oh Lord, rescue us from that type of 
temptation. Free us from it. Let us praise you and give thanks and, and have deep spiritual eyes that can see that your hand is at work. We thank you again that we can have fellowship together, sweet fellowship, and we pray you'd be with us the rest of our time today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.